0: Welcome to the podcast version of 32 Bar Cut, The Show, a series for performers, about performers, made by performers. Every week, we give audition advice, share personal experiences, and sit down with fellow colleagues in the performing arts to chat about their life in the industry. If you are hearing this message, you are not currently a subscriber and will only be hearing the first half of the podcast. If you would like to hear the full interview, including the Curtain Call series, you'll want to head over to 32barcup.com where you can find a link to our Patreon page. There you will have exclusive access to the entire video and private RSS podcast feed, as well as other subscriber-only content. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, on to the show.
1: Welcome to 32 Bar Cut The Show, a show where we talk with our friends about what it's like to be a performer. Today on 32 Bar Cut The Show, we are sitting down with Broadway's Bradley Gibson from A Bronx Tale, Rocky, and The Lion King. Welcome to the show, Bradley. Thank you so much for being on.
2: Hi, Adrienne. This is so much fun. I love this.
1: I love it too. So Bradley and I have not seen each other since, was it March 11th? 11th of last year, uh, th- yeah.
2: yeah.
1: March, 11th. March 11th of last year, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we were just chatting before we got the show started about how we both had a moment together before they announced that Broadway was shutting down. And you know, we were like, Oh no, they're gonna close the show, we know they're gonna close the show. And Bradley's like, Nah, they're not gonna close the show, they're not gonna. <laughs>
2: And they ain't closing Broadway down. I've walked to work in blizzards when the subway was shut down. like Broadway's still happening there's no way, but here we are almost here a year later.
1: Are. here we yeah. are almost a year later. Wow yeah. so how have you been how what have you been up to? What's life look like for you as much as you want to tell as little as you want to tell like how are you doing?
2: <laughs> Let's talk about it. I'm doing I'm doing. Pretty good right now. I'm doing pretty good. I won't. I I won't complain. I could complain, uh, but I'm doing good. When Broadway shut down, I definitely uh, felt a sense of relief, which mm-hmm. is really uh, it's it's a weird feeling to have. Yeah. And I think I felt a lot of guilt for that for a long time. I felt guilty for saying that I felt relief. That I felt like that that sort of sense in your body when you get on vacation. You can relax, you can let go, you can enjoy yourself. I felt that the second Broadway shut down and maybe the first month or two of that, I really felt that sense of relief. Then the, the feeling of, of mourning set in, the feelings of what am I gonna do? What's gonna happen to my life, to my family's life? What's going on in the world? My my family in North Carolina, <clears throat> it, it was a, plethora of emotions, but the beginning was definitely relief. And now I'm in a place of, um, you know, I have a new sense of hope due to our new administration. Hey. I have a sense of hope due to the vaccine. I have a new sense of hope just with the new year. So I'm doing really good right now.
1: I actually felt some of the same things. And it's funny, <laughs> like I'll share this with everybody, but when um, Brad, so Bradley, actually you told me, that we weren't coming back. Like you had been texting me that that Thursday and you were you sent me the article. the play, I think it was a playbill announcement about mm-hmm. what Governor Cuomo's, you know, no 500 people gathering together. And I was like, wait, what does this mean? And it's so funny because we were chatting with Benita a few weeks back and she immediately emailed Ron And she was like, okay, Ron, so what does this mean for the show? Are we having fewer people in the audience? And he was like, I will get back to you. But basically it's a no, like everything is done, which sounds so unheard of, but I can completely, I feel you on this like feeling of, man, can we relax for a second? I remember texting you, telling you I was headed to the wine shop to fill look, up and my I told bag. you to go. Get you a full
2: cart of wine, <laughs> yes. not one bottle.
1: Get you six bottles. Right. I You're mean, the free. sky's the limit. We had a month <laughs> off. In my mind, I was like, "Oh yeah. my gosh!" You know, if only I could go on vacation right now. Yeah. And so much has happened since then that has been very dark and 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 sad and unkind about everything that led to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my initial feelings of it was, "We're free." And yeah. I hate that because it is it is a dream to live on Broadway, but it um it's very demanding. It's more it's demanding bad- than you can t- you can know until you're in it, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a huge sacrifice to be on Broadway. And I think people don't often talk about that or they don't really expose that truth. They don't expose the I don't want to say the dark side, but the the the, the dark side <laughs> yeah. of being on Broadway, right? The realities of it, the sacrifice of it. And I definitely think that My first response to Broadway shutting down was like, just (sighs) exhale.
1: Yeah. Your body gets a chance to heal. Your voice gets a chance to heal. I was having so many vocal issues. Like my my vocal instructor is great and she was helping me through it, but I needed a break. And I feel like when you're on this level, you feel so much pressure to not call out. You feel like you can't call out. If you call out, then you're a sucker, you know, like yeah. you, you can't you can't cut the mustard. You can't hold your weight. And it's. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just the the culture or if it's American culture or what it is that we feel like we can't take breaks, even when our bodies are shutting down.
2: You know, yeah, I think it's a lot of things. I think it is definitely the culture of Broadway and the culture of whatever um theater you're in the building the energy in that building yeah um it's because you care about your job you care about the show you know we get such a a, a luxury of our job is getting a chance to to exchange energy with thousands of people every yeah. single And knowing that a lot of them, especially at Lion King, it's their first experience in a Broadway theater. And you remember what it felt like to sit in a theater and take in a Broadway show for the first time. For me, it was sitting in the men's golf watching The Lion King was my first experience. So I know what that feels like. And I was so honored and so privileged to be able to, to tell that story and be there. And knowing how hard I had worked to get to that place, knowing how hard my family had worked to get me there, all the tears I had shed and the rehearsals that I was into to to learn the show still in rehearsals all the time (laughs) in the show because it's the Lion King. Let's be real.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to tell me. (laughs) So you want to,
2: you want to show up for it. But Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. if anything that I've learned in this past year in 2020, it's that I am, I'm so human and that a human has to rest. A human has to, pause a human has to say i can't do this today so i hope that when broadway comes back and when life comes back to normal whatever that is that we all kind of hold on to that that normal feeling of saying hey i'm human and today i have to check out
1: i have to take a moment respect yeah And I I hope that we will be able to understand that for each other, because Mm -hmm. if we change the culture, then we will also benefit from that change and that we'll be able to take care of ourselves without the guilt. Because you can call out, but it doesn't mean that you're sitting at home, feed up, you know, eating some macaroni and cheese and chilling like it is such a terrible feeling to be at home knowing that the show is happening without you.
2: No. I think that, too, you know, that's something that is definitely in my head when I would call out of the show, Mm -hmm. of any Mm -hmm. show, not just Lion King, any Broadway show. It's like people are judging me or, you know, there are crazy things on Twitter and Instagram and blogs, fans talking and what are people saying about me? Are they thinking that I don't care or that I don't take it seriously or Mm -hmm. that I'm just faking it? It's like, no, actually, the reality is that I'm at home sick. Mm-hmm. and probably stressed out thinking about my voice thinking about my body if it's injured whatever's going on it's it's so much to to process
1: yeah absolutely and i was thinking when you were talking about you know being a younger person and and deciding you know like deciding to make this choice to move to new york and you you're going to pursue this career of acting i realized that i do not know your broadway debut story i don't i don't know much about it at all and i'm really curious what like what that was experience was like?
2: Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so I graduated from college in 2013 from the Boston Conservatory, mm-hmm. and I, for the most part, in college, I never was one of those students that was always coming to New York to audition because I knew that number one, I didn't really love school like ever. Not just college; elementary <laughs> school. was never a school person. Mm-hmm. So I knew I got to stay in this school. Or if I leave, I don't know if I'm going to come back. (laughs) (laughs) So I never really auditioned. Um, But when it came to graduation, we had showcase. And if, you know, I I met some agents through that. My agents that I still have, I love them. Um, My papas, I call them. Um, (laughs) And I started coming to New York for different meetings, for auditions here and there, for callbacks if I got one. But also for interviews, for day jobs and side Mm -hmm. hustles and looking for... Uh, sublet apartments kind of really trying to set up my life so um in may right after i graduated i came to new york for a day trip i was constantly doing day trips on the greyhound bus or if i was really fancy and needed a quick trip you take the amtrak um but that day this day i definitely took a greyhound bus a bolt bus um and i had a call back for after midnight
1: Mm. remember
2: that yeah i do i do Call back for after midnight. Funny, I got a callback because I can't tap. <laughs> <laughs> I can tap and they, they, liked they liked your
1: look. They liked your voice. They were like, hmm.
2: <laughs> I had to come back for like this big, like tap, callback work session, which I was terrified to do because I oh
1: didn't
2: to tap. But I came into the city early so that I could go to a job interview at a restaurant and I saw this ECC for Rocky the Musical.
1: Mm-hmm, Which
2: mm-hmm. I was like, you know, at that point I was like any show that was auditioning, I was going because <laughs> moving to New York, I don't have a job. I have no money. <laughs> if I don't get something soon or does it doesn't work out, I got to go to North Carolina and that's not an option.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Went to the ECC and I was typed in because I was in equity at the time. Um, it was like 300 guys there. All these guys were like, they ranged from, you know, your stereotypical Broadway dancer guy up to like huge, like bodybuilding, muscly guys who'd never done a Broadway show ever
1: before. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so they type people in and out. And I was typed in. I was the very last person to go in and sing my little 16 bars. And that was it, right? It was top of the day, early in the morning. And the rest of the day happened. The job interview happened. The callback happened. (laughs) I didn't book after midnight, obviously. (laughs) Um, And I didn't hear anything for a uh, couple of weeks. And then I started getting callbacks. I moved to New York on June 1st with my best friend. We, like, rented a U-Haul and packed it up and drove all day and did the whole thing from Boston. Um, And I got the restaurant job. I started June 2nd. And that Monday after that weekend, you know, I was just hitting the pavement every day, waking up and packing my book bag up with like all my my rep book, my headshots, but also my clothes for my restaurant job at night, like hustling, grinding hard all summer. And by the end of that summer, I had uh, not only booked Rocky, my first Broadway show, but I had booked, uh, I had done Love's Labor's Lost, Shakespeare in the Park. I did that. And I was leaving to go to uh, the Old Globe Theater in San Diego for that fall before Rocky started to do an out-of-town tryout of a new show called um, The Last Goodbye, which was um, a new musical that never ended up coming to Broadway. But um, that summer of hustling and grinding turned out to work in my favor, and it ended up with me um, making my Broadway debut in 2014 in Rocky.
1: That's amazing, Bradley. I think... It's interesting because, you know, did you ever watch Smash when it was out? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
2: Actually, you know what? i never seen uh, the second season until the pandemic hit. The first thing, one of the first things Adam and I started watching when Broadway shut down was the second season of Smash because why not? Yeah. It was, it was, it was something.
1: You know what? I need to go back and watch it because... Now that I've worked with Will Chase, I feel like I'm gonna watch it in a different way. Like now that I'm <laughs> actually in, like on a Broadway scene, I feel like it's I'm gonna take it in completely differently. Because yeah. when I was watching it, I, oh man, was it like oh nine or no? It was later than that, like 2012, 2011. Yeah.
2: Yeah, something like Yeah, that.
1: I was having oh, an off period in my career and I did have to go back home for nine months. So I was like in Georgia. I was in Jonesboro, Georgia. I was like, it's over. I don't have a car. I can't even go to <laughs> auditions in Atlanta. You know, like what am I doing? And my highlight of every week was watching Smash. You know, yeah. let me be a star.
2: Yeah. So,
1: um, I was thinking about that, how they did a pretty good job of showing kind of kind of what it's like. I think they did. Now I need to watch it again before I misspeak. But it's interesting that you talk about the grind because I I, I think it's very important for folks listening and watching to know that it doesn't. It's not just handed to you. That you no. are working a survival job. You are going to audition after audition after audition, and you don't get a rejection letter in the mail that says, "Hey." Thank you so much for coming in. We've gone a different way. You get radio silence, okay? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep pushing yourself and believing in yourself in spite of that because it's your dream or you know that you've got something to offer. You're just waiting for it to align with whatever role you go in for. Mm -hmm. And it's just Mm -hmm. a lot of factors. It could be that you vibe with whoever's behind the table and they're like, you know what? Come on. Come on into this show with me. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see more of what you got.
2: Yeah. That grind is such a um, it's also like an emotional grind, too. Like you're learning, especially in those early days, those early years, you're learning how to like navigate your emotions around it because you care so much. And I, I think for me anyway, to like successfully make this character mine or learn this material in the way that i need to learn it to get the job i have to really care about it Mm -hmm. and caring about it means you see the end of the road Mm -hmm. of it which is having the job which is opening night which is all the things that come along with that and every time it doesn't go your way it does it hurts a little bit but you learn how to how to let go of that and like surrender to that and let it go and move on and know that you know if you didn't get this, it's because it's not yours. Because this next thing down the road will be yours, and you know it's all—it's all a—it's all, uh, navigating. And it learning. is
1: navigating. I mm-hmm. feel like I'm still learning that skill, and it's interesting because I feel like when it comes to auditioning for theater, I feel like I've—I under have an understanding. Mm-hmm. I I go in. I am prepared. And I leave and I think, you know, if I get a call back, great. If I don't, that means they have someone else in mind and I can have peace with that. But as I've started to get more and more TV and film auditions, it is harder for me to put it aside because I feel like those auditions are, uh, there's so much more prep for me. There's Mm -hmm. so much um, that you have to bring of yourself into the space, because it's just this camera lens focused on you. And, you know, maybe you are auditioning for a woman that's lost her child or, you know, something extremely emotional like that. And you have to dive deep and then send it off to your agents and let it go. And I think that mm-hmm. has been, that's been a challenge for me. And I'm still uh, being you know figuring out how to apply that skill that I've learned for theater auditions to my TV and film auditions
2: yeah i agree with that completely and you know at least in a theater audition you have the energy of the people in the room with you, mm,
1: you know? yeah. even the
2: energy is nasty sometimes mm-hmm. the energy is shady sometimes mm-hmm. you, you leave that audition and you're like you know that man in the middle behind the table was so rude and yeah. was on his phone and eating a sandwich while i was auditioning but at least i can like you know i have that connection i knew i know what happened I know why I didn't get it. I know why they weren't interested in me. Whereas a television film audition, a tape, you send that off and you don't know if they watched it and loved it and just didn't go your way because of a thousand reasons or if it was left and no one cared, you just don't know. You have yeah, no sort you don't of like, know. You have nothing to hold on to.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think, and I thought that I had I had gotten adjusted to that feeling until I, most recently, and this is a breakthrough for me because I haven't made uh, a TV debut, and so that's on my bucket list, but... What has happened since I took a few more film classes and everything is that I've been pinned or I've gotten a Zoom callback, which is huge for me. Right. But it makes it even harder to let it go. Yeah. Oh, it makes it so much harder. You're like, oh, they're considering me. I did something right. And it doesn't always mean you did something right. I had a Zoom uh, uh, callback. And they were like, yeah, don't do anything you did in the first audition. Do it this way. And I'm like, y'all didn't want to call me up and tell me this before I had this callback. <laughs>
2: because- no, the Zooms are really um, they stress me out.
1: Yeah. The Zoom
2: callbacks or the Zoom meetings stress me out because you wanna like listen, because they might have some notes for you if you have to retape, right? Like what yeah. to do differently or what you did right. And then I'm always thinking, like, wait, what did I even do? Like, wait, what did I do the first time? Like, yeah. so you liked what I did, but you didn't like what I did? Like, I might not get the job, but I... And then they're asking you if you would want to do the job. Like, the last <laughs> Zoom meeting I had, they said to me, they're like, would you be willing to do this and that? And I'm like, wait, willing? Like, did Was I book it? Her? Right. Oh, does <laughs> <is> this mean? <laughs> Turns out it meant nothing because I didn't get it. So, right? It's yeah, a-
1: it's like they're just checking off whatever list they have to ask every actor just in case to cover their bases. But it is, it is a skill. It is a skill to do it and let it go, do it yeah. and let it go. And for women, I mean, I'm sure you have this too, just like getting into costume and getting into character. But for me, it's like, okay, what hair am I wearing? How am I doing my hair? Or am I putting on a wig? And then I've got makeup and it's just for this like five minute zoom callback. And you're like, all right, wash it off. Or what about, you know, it's a waste of a face. Maybe I'll film right. an episode of 32 Bar Cut. I don't know what to you're do. You're like,
2: well, that five minutes is gone. And what am I going to do now, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah so, There's an ad- so- adrenaline rush with it, too. OK, so we talked about your Broadway debut with Rocky. But I think, well, at least I've heard you talk about it many times, about, like, your real family and, and most, you know, I don't know, the experience that stayed with you and kind of was life changing, it sounds like for you, was your your time with A Bronx Tale. Yeah. And you made lifelong friends there. And I, I, I think it's interesting when you get to start a show because you got to start with Rocky, but it sounds like A Bronx Tale, it was just different. And what made it different?
2: You know, I think a lot of things made it different. I think Rocky, I was so young and so green. I had just moved to New York. It was my first Broadway show. I barely knew my neighborhood that I lived in, much less like how to navigate being a professional working on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a swing in the show. So there's that whole aspect of, you know, learning. I kind of felt like I was back in school. Like my first year in New York was like grad school, because I swung the show at the Old Globe. And I also was a swing in Rocky. So I really got to Learn how the job of a swing works, which is yeah. the hardest job in the theater. I think anyone who does it is a master and they should be treated so well mm-hmm. and given so much respect. And if they do it really well and if they love to do it, I'm like, you're going to always have a job because yeah. we need mm-hmm. you. We need you so much. Um, I was not the best swing. <laughs> 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 I think I told you I'm like... When I really messed your show up, hire me <laughs> swing. Because I I don't know how it comes off on stage, but I know that, you know, I was filled with so much anxiety and stress during Rocky because you get that call that you're going on, on that night and I'm going through my my book and my notes and I'm trying to memorize the lines and it was a new show, so things were changing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was a really technically, like, advanced show on Broadway. So things were happening and moving and it was very stressful um, but i did meet a couple of people in that show that i still hold so close to my heart but bronx Tale is a different story because that that group of people was just pure magic i think the i think the show itself also kind of bled in the building right the show's all about community you know? it's about your neighborhood it's about your family your chosen family and I think that really bled in the building. The theater was small. The Acre is a tiny little theater built for Mm -hmm. plays, but yet there were like 50 some people in those dressing rooms, right? (laughs) Like like stuff like sardines and it could have either gone really bad or what happened to us, it went really beautifully. Mm -hmm. And we just had this great dynamic. I met such great people. It's been on my heart a lot lately because Nick Cordero, we lost him. Mm-hmm. And that was and still is hard, I think, for everyone in the community because, you know, Bronx Hill would not have been what it was without him making that energy happen, right? The show definitely had this family, community sort of feeling that made the cast be what it was. But also Nick was one of those individuals that really took that to the next level and showed us from the first week of rehearsal, like... You know, on on Saturday at 6 when we got released or Sunday, whatever the day off was, like, we're going to go out for a drink. We're going to all go to someone's apartment and hang out. Like, oh, we're going to okay. stay after the theater on Thursday Thursdays. And, like, he's going to, like, set up, you know, his dressing room as, like, the place where you get your drinks. And who's going to have, like, there would be weeks we would do different food and each dressing, like, so much fun would happen there. People would get, you know, we would have vacation swings come in that would, kind of come in and say, I'm only going to be here for two weeks. And they would end up coming back every single week just to say, hey, and just buy some food or I'm going to come by and have a drink with you guys. So that experience was so beautiful for me. Also, because it was my first principal role, I got to create it. I got to, um, you know, sit in those labs and sit at the piano with, Alan Minkin, while they like figure out my parts and talk about <laughs> keys of the song, and who didn't grow up with Alan Minkin music, right. right?
1: Right, exactly. 90
2: kids, if you were born in that time period, you were grew up on, on Little Mermaid and Being the Beast on Aladdin. So it was just so many things came together that made it this beautiful experience. I also was a little older. I had, I wasn't subletting apartments, I had my own apartment. I was in a good space in my life. like Everything kind of equaled this beautiful year and a half that I don't expect to happen again. I think that that's Mm -hmm. something that I had to really learn after that Mm -hmm. is that every experience is going to be different and it doesn't make them any better or any worse. But that moment in time, we were just all in such a... Beautiful place to connect. And it was just a great experience. And not in funny because the show also was not like a big hit, right? Like we weren't the big hit of the season. In fact, (laughs) wasn't nobody (laughs) talking about
1: us. (laughs) (laughs) But But y'all were having a good time and and loving each other. Yeah. Last
2: so long was because I think you could feel that energy on Mm. the stage. I think the fans that really hooked onto us felt that because they even became. Of the crew, they would be at the stage door multiple times a week, back again and again and again, and they knew our names. They it it was just a beautiful experience.
1: It's interesting, too, when um, because I believe that too, that energy is so powerful that if it's right. You know, even if it's negative energy, you know, if your Mm -hmm. villain is like really passionate and you're really giving it on stage, you can feel it in your seat. Mm -hmm. And that's what really makes for a good show. And when the energy isn't there, that's when you lose people. And, you know, that's when you lose people's attention. I mean, and that's when you're not really grabbing your audience and it makes it, you know, less memorable. And so I think it's so great when a, when a cast gets a chance to bond, like you just described, because it just increases the vibe and the energy and, and, uh, what you can, you can leave some, someone can leave the audience feeling changed or at mm-hmm. least feeling like they shared in an experience with the people on stage. Yeah. And it's not always the case.
2: Yeah.
1: I yeah. am curious how you felt. And I didn't really mean to go from show to show to show when I was talking with you, but it just seems like we're naturally doing that. So, yeah. I um I had a similar experience with having feeling like I had a family a lot in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I left Chicago to do my Broadway debut at the Lion King, and I I was so spoiled that I thought that I would have that same experience when I walk into The Lion King. And it's interesting <laughs> to hear you talk about going from The a Bronx Tale to The Lion King because it is such a stark um, contrast. And I know it was for me. I mean, and I would love to chat with you about that um, because you know, being a Black performer and, you know, The Lion King does feel like one of the Black shows on Broadway. And so I had it in my head that I was about to be walking into such an amazing and family-oriented experience. And when you come into the show as a replacement, it doesn't feel like that at first. And it takes a while. And it's interesting because I just expected all these you know, black folks on Broadway, you know, it's just going to be great and welcoming. And it didn't feel like that. And, you know, forgive me, anybody listening that's like, girl, I'm your friend. What are you talking about? It took a while. If we're being honest, it took a while. And, um, you know, when you and when you and I started our, our rehearsal process together, um, I was only there for six months, you know, and then left to do Kiss Me Kate. So, How did you begin to feel better about being at The Liking? I hope I'm not not putting words in your mouth, but I just know how I felt when I started. So (laughs) what was your journey? Because when I came back, uh, you know, after you've been there for a year, it seemed like you were more comfortable and you had made some connections there. So so what was that like for you? And how did you get to feel? Probably not how you felt at the Bronxdale, but, you know, something.
2: Yeah, um... This is where we get real. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I know. Really, I um, want
2: to, though. <laughs> you know, when I left a Bronx Tale, I was so excited to be joining The Lion King, to be playing Simba, because, like I said earlier, it was my first Broadway show. Who doesn't know The Lion King? Yes. I never thought in a thousand years that I would even be considered to play Simba. I didn't know I could even sing it. There are a hundred reasons why I didn't think I would be doing that show and because I'd only really done original work. So I had never really auditioned for a lot of replacement roles, which is a privilege and a luxury, I know. Um, But I left the Bronx Tale crying to lead these people, but so excited to go on this next journey, taking steps forward in my career, the role is bigger, you know, all that. I quickly realized that my experience at Bronx Tale was a special one and would never be recreated again on Broadway, probably. Um, and it certainly wasn't gonna happen to the Lion King. One, because the show is built in a way that a lot of the principals have so much time to them to, to themselves. Yeah. Right? To themselves. I um playing Simba, you spend, unless I could have, I could have also. Like many people in the show been out of my dressing room, king in the basement and the men's ensemble room and whatnot. But when I first got there, I definitely um couldn't do that because it's hard, yeah, the show is hard, mm-hmm. even though I'm not in Act one, you know, when you hit the stage on The Lion King as one of those principal roles, you hit the ground running and you don't stop until your track is over. Absolutely. And for Simba, that is when the curtain comes down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Act two, curtain comes down, that's mm-hmm. when you're free. Um, so to prepare for that, it took me that first act to really like get myself together, to warm mm-hmm. up, whether it be my voice, my body, getting the makeup. And so I spent a lot of time alone, and I needed that a long time. So really, end of the day, I couldn't have had the Bronx Tale experience because I couldn't have done my job. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as uh, the building is concerned, I think that the difference that really kind of wore my heart and made it difficult at times was navigating personalities.
1: Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm.
2: what I'll say. I think that a show that is long running it's long running because it's a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. And that machine requires a lot of individuals to make it work. It is their job to make it work. And they have figured out the the equation to make the show work, to do their job, to clock in their hours, to do their thing. And they're not always necessarily thinking about how to deal with person to person in different mm-hmm. ways, right? And I think that that, was a big difference for me because when you're building a show, an original cast, you're all finding your way of doing that together. Yeah. But when you come in and you're dealing with someone who's been there for a decade, for 15 years, for 20 years, whatever that might be, they're not thinking about you in that same way. That goes for the people that run the show, that goes for the people that are in the show. And I think that it took me a while to, like, make peace with all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And to also kind of, like, find my way of, like, living my life doing the show, too. Like, Mm -hmm. Broadway is a huge sacrifice no matter what the show is, right? You wake up every day and you're thinking about what you need to do for yourself to get to that place, to be able to do your job at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. And that blanking was the first time that I had to, like, really face some challenges because of the intensity of the job, right? Mm Wrong mm-hmm. till I wasn't waking up and feeling pain all over my body mm-hmm. or, <laughs> you know, or feeling vocally fatigued or sick enough to the point that I actually can't do the job. Like, I never felt that before. I never mm-hmm. had to navigate that. So that was also something I had to make peace with. But I think that when I did, when I finally did, it was year two. So you're so right about that. By the time you came back to Lion King, I definitely had figured out all the personalities, I figured mm-hmm. out how to handle myself in the building, how to let people know when I'm down for the fun, when I'm down for the foolishness, and also when I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not for it. And when I got to how can I let you know? How can I let the powers that be know that today, I don't feel like being here,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: I'm here because it's my job and my responsibility. So what I need you to do is exit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how am I gonna, how do I let you know without being disrespectful to myself, to you? How do I not ruffle any feathers? How do I make this all happen? And I think that now that we're almost a year out from the pandemic, from the shutdown, it's like, oh, that was really the hardest thing about The Lion King for me. It was right. trying to figure out how to like, deal with everything happening behind the scenes. Yeah to keep myself going, to keep myself alive. Because there are definitely some moments in my journey with Lion King that <laughs> I would wake up until I'm like, you know what? It's today the day I call my agents and say, get me out of this mess. <laughs> if I don't get out of here, I'm gonna either like, I'm gonna hurt myself or I'm gonna cuss somebody out. Yeah. And like, which one is it gonna be? And I'm not, I feel myself getting there and that's not me. That's not me being my best self. That's not who I want to be. That's not what I represent, but I'm feeling so pushed. I'm feeling so pushed. And that comes into another conversation of how we come back to Broadway, how we come back to our industry and be better. Because I think a lot of those things that I experienced and that happened where I felt silenced, where I felt like I couldn't speak up for my 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 comfort, for mm-hmm. my respect all end up lining up with what's not okay in the workplace and what's yeah. not okay as far as how we relate and communicate to each other. So um, yeah,
1: yeah, I don't think you're alone. I don't think you're alone at all, Bradley, because it is such a long running show. And when I got there, I had a lot on my personal plate, like I was <laughs> planning my wedding. Um, and I had just moved to New York and I wasn't settled. I was in a sublet, you know, and I did have these expectations and it was not, I mean, I could not have imagined what my experience was. You just have to live through it. But I think just like you, it took me a while to get adjusted. It took me a while not to take things so personally. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Something about this, having this year off, has actually taught me so much about myself that I didn't know I needed to learn. Mm-hmm. So much about how I handle conflict, how I handle newness and change, and how I have a history of handling people in a way that's probably not the best that I thought it was the best, and it's not. And yes. I kind of had to reckon with myself in a bit, in a way. Um, and I've thought a lot about those early days in The Lion King, and and I agree with you that it can feel like a toxic environment, but I understand better now why people say it's like a family because families can be toxic too. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that you don't love each other and you don't wish each other. Well, it just means that, you know, there's a lot of skeletons. There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of feelings, a lot of stuff that you hold in that you don't say. And then all of a sudden it just bursts out and it's, the Lion King is such a beautiful show filled with so many beautiful human beings and artistry and, and bodies doing backbreaking work. But the hardest
2: things in the world.
1: Hardest things in the world.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: And then on top of that, to deal with, you know, being a family <laughs> and whatever yeah. that means, yeah.
2: And I think too, being a replacement, you, oh, yeah. you forget that there's so much history in the building. People have their own individual lives their own friendships and relationships that have formed in the building. And, you know, you coming into this building, if anything, you're just making annoying rehearsals for them happen.
1: It does feel like that. And I hate that. And I made a point. I hope I did a good job with this for you, but I never wanted to come off like I was irritated that we were in rehearsal because... Ooh, I know how that feels and it sucks because Mm -hmm. you're like, well, we have to be here because I don't know the show and I don't know your body and we've got to learn this, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) yeah, people don't, they don't want to be in rehearsal because they've been in the show for forever and they're like, I know the show. (laughs) I don't need to be Mm -hmm. here.
2: Yeah. So I definitely think there's that too. There's so many things with, oh, sorry, this construction outside of our building is sounding so loud. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that, that, aspect of like not wanting to I, I hate that I'm wasting your time or like mm-hmm. you could be at home with your family or cleaning or doing whatever you want to do in your life because mm-hmm. you spent so much time in this theater I now am the reason you're in this theater even longer, and you never made me feel that way um, and most people didn't because I definitely quickly I also understood the feeling having been in other Broadway shows like I know what that feel feels like to do a put in or whatnot but um I definitely know that (laughs) in the years afterwards, I'm sure I showed you that in rehearsals when I was like, why are we sitting here (laughs) saying these lines that we say every single day? (laughs)
1: Let's find something new
2: in them. Let's find something new on the stage.
1: Yes, let's find it on the stage. Let's
2: find it on the stage. Because right (laughs) now, I know I'm not finding it. You told me I found it right now. You're lying. Because (laughs) I'm pissed.
1: (laughs) And I'm telling you that I'm pissed. Bradley everyone knows when you're pissed it is on your face
2: everyone knows and when you don't know that I'm pissed I'm like you are are you not here because I'm showing you that I hate
1: this (laughs) (laughs) okay so I'm gonna pivot a bit speaking of things that are new and finding something new I was so excited in September because you released a new single called yeah. Fool, and along with this beautiful music, you released this beautiful, beautiful music video. I'm curious about how you all filmed it, when you filmed it, uh, what was your reasoning for it, just everything. Like, I love the video, love the song. Uh,
2: thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, It was... One of the highlights of my 2020 in such a dark year, right? Like finding a way to create something and feel like an artist and it being my work, right? Like what a different feeling it is to write and record and create my own visuals. Um, It's like a high that I've never experienced before. But I started writing the music. I've been writing poetry and songs for a really long time before I even really knew that I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote the song maybe a year after I moved to New York. Like, I have like a, I write so many songs and it wasn't until I joined The Lion King that I actually started wanting to record music and really putting that forward, actually because of Nick Cordero. Mm -hmm. I'll always give him props for that because he wrote music and recorded music and we would spend a lot of time hanging out, chilling, and, and singing our songs and talking about it. And he, I remember he told me one day, he was like, you know, brother, he's like, if you really want to keep doing theater and doing Broadway shows, he was like, there's going to come a point where the feeling that you have today, that day I was really kind of over it, right? And felt kind of burnt out and didn't want to do it. He was like, you're going to have so many days where you feel like this. And there's so much bullshit that happens in these buildings and theaters, these people that run it, everything, it's not going to run perfectly. Mm-hmm. So how can you survive? Make your own art. Mm-hmm. If you feel that like you can, if you have it. He was like, you literally have tons of songs, these great songs that I love, everyone loves them. Like, record them. Let's get to work. Yeah. Um, and I started doing that and uh, full, went through a lot of revisions. Actually, like six months before we released it, when Broadway was still up and running. It had run like so many different versions and tempos and like I made some lyric changes and I didn't really know how I wanted to release it. I didn't know if I wanted to release it when I did, if I wanted to put something else out. And when the fight for racial justice started Mm
1: -hmm. over the summer,
2: I was um, in a dark place like most people, like most black people, like most, you know, like hopefully like most people, we were really in a place of what can I do? I'm feeling so much. Why is this still happening? Why are people surprised that it's happening now or that it's happening at all? Because this has been my reality my entire life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, What can I do to like free myself? And a uh, uh, director, Austin, who I have been talking to for months prior to that, met through a friend, he had reached back around to me and he was like, you know, when do you want to start making visuals for your music? Like, he's, he was in L.A. for a while. He was like, I'm back in New York. I know that Broadway's not <laughs> happening. So, like, our schedules might work out. Like, what do you want to do? Do you have any ideas? And I was like, um, I guess, let me look at what I have. Let me see what I want to do. What am I feeling? And I was listening to Fool again because I was editing it with my producer. And I was like, oh, I think this could have a deeper meaning than just being a matter of the heart, right? Mm -hmm. Than just being a matter of the heart that deals with a relationship, a love relationship. Um, You know, really saying that, talking about the heartbreak.
0: Adrian and I hope that you have enjoyed listening to the show thus far. If you'd like to hear the full interview and get access to the curtain call, head on over to 32barcut.com, where you can find a link to our Patreon page. There you will have exclusive access to the entire video collection and private RSS podcast feed, as well as other subscriber-only content. All right, that's all I got. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.